Testing, the modern testing podcast. Join your hosts, Alan. God! Now I'm mad! <laughs> and Brent. I am mindless, agile robot. I must iterate. God! <laughs> As we talk about software engineering, software quality, leadership, and whatever else comes to mind. Now, on with the show. We're back! Howdy! It's another episode of A-B Testing! Yay! As we count down, as Casey Kasem would have in the 70s, and probably longer. I used to listen to Casey Kasem every Sunday night. The, I the, the America's well. Top 40 countdown. With those little, On the mighty 690. With those stories. I don't know what station it was on here. Anyway, we're counting down to episode 100, but we're not there yet. Yeah. We're a few away. I just made myself feel really old. I... Back in the day, the pop music channel was on a AM. Wowzer. So uh, we're back. We took an extra week off. Um, travel, snow, life, work, etc. Yeah, you, you have, you've, you've had your uh, a year's worth of change in the last few weeks. Have I? I think so. Maybe. We'll talk about that in a Damn it, Alan. <laughs> I deserve that. I deserve that. I, I totally deserve that. That was well, well placed. We couldn't have rehearsed that any better. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. It's been a hack of the first of the year. Uh, mostly good stuff. Took a week off to go skiing. A bunch of work stuff that I'll talk about in a minute kind of hangs in limbo. But uh, mostly, I think, all good. Hey, everyone. Alan breaking in. Before we get too far to talk about our sponsor on A-B testing this week, Practitest. You may have heard of Practitest from Joel, who is one of the three, or from the online test conference, which is sponsored by Practitest. Joel himself gave Brent and I a walkthrough this week of Practitest, and I have to say we were both pretty darn impressed about what it is and what it does. As you're aware, there's no one-size-fits-all in testing. That's why they built Practitest to be a centralized solution that supports testing of different types and sizes. Whether it's scripted, exploratory, or automated, or whatever, they work for you. They envision a place where all testing data will reside so that stakeholders can generate the information required for their needs. Another issue they're trying to solve is that you can create and run more tests and more type of tests, and you end up having a ton of data in the system. Having a lot of data can be harmful if you can't control it. This is why they introduced a revolutionary approach to data organization. Instead of burying the data in folders within folders, they allow users to work with a hierarchical filter trees that are based on the same data you're storing. This enables teams to organize information in more flexible or multiple ways, helping to generate better reports and visibility into product and process. At Practitest, they believe that a tester's job is not to test for the sake of testing, which is true for A-B testing as well but to create visibility and provide information that will help the team release better products and do it faster. For that reason, having a platform that supports testing is not enough. So they put a lot of effort into their dashboard and reporting modules to make sure anyone can get the relevant information they need in a format that works for them and when they need it. Overall, I was super impressed with Practitest not trying to be everything for everyone and being some huge massive, I'm not going to throw any names under the bus here, but one of those solutions that tries to do way too much. Practitest is straightforward, simple, and very powerful. Of course, having access to the data and using that to form your reports and make your decisions 
is a great way to catalog your testing effort. So check them out at practitest.com. That's P-R-A-C-T-I-T-E-S-T dot com. Thanks. And now back to the show. My, my pact to not speak, my policy, my something to not speak at conferences in 2019 was tried. Uh, a, a game company asked me to come speak at their internal conference in Barcelona. It's okay. like, oh. And the thing is, the thing is, it's like, oh my God, I want to go to Barcelona. I'm honored. They want to talk about modern testing. I should go. I should go. And it's not like I just, this random, like I want to, I'm not speaking at conferences and that's the way it's going to go. Is now, you know, months out from actually going, it's like, yeah, sounds great. But every time I do that, the week leading up to it, I think, why did I say yes? I don't have time for this. I don't want to go. <laughs> so I'm going to. There's always more important things. Dude, to and, I, do. and I like yeah. conferences. And sorry, I had a little tangent in my brain there. I wanted to reel it in a little bit. But I just taken a break for a bit. I don't know if I'll make it all the way through the year without speaking, but I'm going to give it a shot. Someone, Well, you actually tweeted recently that you've handed the mantle of test conferences back to Whitaker. Yes. Whit- <laughs> oh, my God. So uh, our, our dear friend, and I mean that truthfully, James Whitaker, posted a tweet how after leaving test conferences seven, eight, whatever it was years ago, he's going to do some again this year and talk about AI and machine learning and how they're applied to testing. And the test community, oddly, I thought a lot of them didn't didn't respond well to that. Did you watch their replies? I did. People were, people are still, and I'll get the phrase right here off of what I've read on Reddit, but um, the, the phrase is, people are butthurt. <laughs> that 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 James said testing was dead, and my God, you would think twelve thousand people were in the audience for his talk where he mentioned test was dead, but no, it was star. It was a couple hundred, and what was lost in that is the message that test testers aren't dead, testing isn't dead, test as you know it is changing enough for a lot of you to consider it dead, but God the. <laughs> It, I just, ah, uh, it's just, I, the king is dead, long live the king. Test is dead, long live test. Yeah, it, I think the way, the accurate way you described it just a second ago is test as you know it is dead. Sure, yeah. Right. It, and, it, and and to be, we've been talking about that on on this podcast for well over the last year exclusively or, almost. No, yeah, I mean. Almost the whole time, really. You're right, right, um. One of yeah, it's interesting. I went back. I think in twenty thirteen, I commented on this after having a a chat with Whitaker when he was still at Google. It's almost if it's not dead for you, what are you doing wrong? Yeah, and and because <laughs> you're still living in also we're, we're we're preaching to the choir a little bit here yeah. because uh, A B testing listeners uh, kind of get it. They've they've Many of them have come to accept what we mean by principle number seven. It's not about test being dead. It's just like you may mature enough. You may not need to dedicate someone to testing. Testing's an activity. Yes. Anyway. And consider the whole shipping system. Uh, One thing interesting, and I'm going to forget names here of the three. And by the way, one of the three.slack.com is 
one of the proudest things that has come out of this podcast. Yeah, I love it. Uh, and thank you, Percy. Uh, yes, for kicking that off, and thank you, everyone, all three of you who who are in that channel daily, asking questions, answering questions. It's fantastic, and just starting discussions that are interesting. Someone oh, uh, pointed out. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, yes, oh. yes. Have you learned about super tacos? No. Yeah, I no. gave I gave one out. How do you give a super taco? So what I'm <laughs> and, and wait, is this a joke here? Uh, no. To be clear, um, what we're talking about, if you use Slack, there's a service called Hey Taco, and Hey Taco gave us a sweet, sweet deal on using their service on one of the three slack.com. And if your company uses Slack, I highly recommend it. It's just a fun way to give other people recognition. It's freaking awesome. So we've been giving each other tacos. And then, so that's the context of what we're talking about. But I've never heard of a super taco, but now I want to know. When you get or give enough tacos, you have the ability to give out a super taco. I have not been tacoing enough. I actually gave out the first official super taco. That is fantastic. To Chris Kenst for making the last week's or two weeks ish. Week before last. Webinar uh, so easy for me. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. How'd the webinar go? I want to bounce back to conferences in a second, but now that we're on webinar, we're going to go down that road and then rewind back up to the top. Sounds good. Webinar went well. Uh, the thing that I – so I have not – unlike the podcast, I have not been able to re-listen to my own – the the whole webinar. Uh, I'm very clear now on how much um editing you do for the podcast, and I greatly appreciate <laughs> – I cannot – I thought you didn't notice – no. Uh, this, <laughs> They're literally not exaggerating 50 minimum an episode. <laughs> to be clear, I, I take a bunch of my own out as well, oh. but not nearly as much as the Brent Ummester. Yeah, I, I need to find a way <laughs> to fix that because I can only – I've been listening to that webinar, re-listened to it in sort of 10-minute chunks because that's as far as I can take it before I'm like, oh, my God! <laughs> That's the problem with video. If you have a video, it's difficult to edit out the ums. Yes. Yes. Uh, Toastmasters. I did a couple sessions of it a long time ago, and that helped out a lot. They have an awe counter, then they just count filler words. What's a filler word? Um, uh, uh, Okay, those aren't getting edited out. <laughs> so anyway, uh, cool. Is yeah, that recording I, available on- It's uh, up on YouTube. Or the AST website. We should probably give them a little plug since they uh, sponsor Both, the talk. right? Yeah. Um, damn it. Do you just search for Brent Jensen, um? No. <laughs> <laughs> Though that might work. <laughs> there are three Brent Jensens now up on YouTube, or at least three. One's a- a jazz artist who I think is pretty good. One's a painter. And now there's me with uh, this webinar. If you search for Alan Page, you'll get a whole bunch of the Supreme Court justice playing football. So webinar format, uh, I was telling Chris beforehand, 
webinar format uh, just freaks me out because it is nowhere even remotely aligned with my style. When I'm doing a presentation, I need I need a sense of am I losing my audience? It's or am hard. I not it is no. It's definitely hard. I've done uh, a bunch of them, and I'm a little better at them now in just not caring or imagining. But it is hard to not get see if you see confusion or I or nodding heads. Those things help. Right. I can <laughs> I, I can tell if they're pretending my jokes are funny. Most are. Yeah. <laughs> the the thing I was thinking though, next time I do a webinar, what I could just do is I could just sit in my home, uh, record it. There's plenty of apps for that. Uh, and then when it's time for the webinar, I just hit play. Then I can, you know, practice it 10, 15 times and get it right. Cool. Hey, speaking <laughs> of webinars. The tangent road will return back to conferences. But uh, speaking of conferences, the I don't know if the dates are announced yet, but uh, Brent and I will be presenting something to be determined at the next online test conference for Joel. Sometime in the summer. I forget when it is, but we're going to do something, and we're going to figure out what that is at a later date. Maybe episode 100. Maybe. By the way, episode. I'm never going to get back to conferences, but it's something I want to talk about no, there. So I'm going back to webinars. Okay. Um, and then I'll close on this very quickly. And that if, is, if you're the type that tries to fast forward through the banter, I'm sorry that we're still talking and not on. <laughs> topics, this is important stuff too, so you may like it. It's interesting on the webinar as well. So I don't know if you or how you deal with this. So that content, right? Even when I presented it, it was it was heavily influenced by the Unity deck a year ago when I presented for your team. I modified it a great deal uh, because of what I think the audience wants. But the other thing, too, is I can't tell if I'm too high level or too low level for the audience. I get a, This is a space where, for me, I've been babbling about it, it seems like, for years. And I don't know how much of the audience is still at phase zero, right? I'm like, okay, do I go in deep on how to move data from place A to place B, or do I just skip over that and say, Google it? <laughs> That's actually a really good point. One of the things, yeah. uh, one of the great takeaways from my time in engineering excellence where I studied a lot on how people learn was you need to gauge the audience's level of experience. And speaking in person, like a lot of my talks will start off with, how many of you have blah? A little, do a little bit more information. Then, how many of you have blah blah blah? And from a few of those questions at the beginning, near the beginning of the talk, you begin to get an idea of where you need to make tweaks later. Yeah, that's what I do. So, but without that, it's like here's my wall of information. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Good <laughs> luck. I'll see you on the other side. Yeah, one of the most common questions I'll ask, like when I do internal presentations, is. How many of you have ever directly worked with a data scientist? Almost inevitably, every time someone raised their hand, I'm the data scientist they're raising their hand for. And um, so now I just turn it into a joke. I'm like, ah, fantastic. Then none of you are likely to know when I am lying to you. Yes. <laughs> and and I, can, I can vouch for that. I've, I've, heard, I've heard Brent use that line. That happens. Yeah. So... 
back up the stack. I think we're done with that conferences. part. Can I go back to conferences? So one thing on one of the three dot slack dot com, you can get an invi- you can get the invitation link at moderntesting.org, is someone who I've who I've forgotten posted a talk, a video of a actually I watched a pretty good talk from JS conference, JavaScript conference. And then Tony, uh, I remember Tony because I met Tony. If I met if I met you, I remember who when you say things. Uh Tony uh pointed out that he heard me say a lot of those things in same things in Philadelphia at Test Bash a couple years ago, two and a half years ago. Not that um, I, I'm not at all. I mean, nothing I say is so new that I like, oh, my gosh, somebody else is saying this. But the cool thing is that the point I wanted to make that is if there are dev conferences where people are saying a lot of the things I'm saying – uh, that is my next venue when I get back into speaking. I want to start speaking more at developer conferences about modern testing, about quality, about quality engineering teams, uh, and s- not do that as much at test conferences. Test Bash still has a place in my heart, and I will probably be the only the only test conference that I want to speak at again is Test Bash and online test conference. Uh, online stuff I'll do till the cows come home. Because I, I can sit in my home, uh, wear you know pants optional, <laughs> and talk about what, whatever. Uh, but as far as conferences to go to, I really like not just as a speaker but as an attendee. Big fan of Test Bash. But other than that, I'd like to. My future plans are to see if I can talk about some of the things I like to talk about and do it for a developer audience because I think the the world is ready for that. I think. Not that the world's ready for me. The world, the, the the software development world, is ready for the things that I've been talking about because they're already talking about them. No, I think I think developer and or DevOps conferences are are actually the right place for it to be. Yeah. Right. So we should talk a little bit about the cliffhanger in '97. What happens after modern testing? And postmodern testing. Postmodern testing is the answer. Yes. <laughs> uh, you are absolutely correct, Sir Brent Jensen. Thanks. So I think it's in general the answer is different for everyone, and people worry about like, what if I do work myself out of a job? My theory, my hypothesis is, and my experience, which I'll share a little bit about in a moment, is that uh, in the process of leading a team towards following modern testing principles, uh, there will come a point when uh, principle number seven, you may not need a dedicated testing specialist. But along that way, you've learned a lot of other skills. And those skills are going to be different for every single person. We talk about the T-shape persona and breadth. Well, hopefully. I mean, it, if you just – this is why we had the principle – or the not principle eight discussion, right? Hopefully, as you've as you've gone through – you have also invested in in yourself so that you're ready for a postmodern transition. Yeah, and if think about the things you need to do. There's a lot of leadership exercise, whether you're an individual contributor or a, in a management position. There's a lot of demonstrable assets from your work. People see, if you're, I've led a team along that direction, I would think that People will be looking for you to do a bunch of different things. Um, I was joking with uh, one of the uh, dev managers in Montreal this week because I, I'll talk a little bit about what I'm doing, but uh, what I'm actually doing hasn't been announced yet. So 
and it may or may not be by Monday when the podcast goes out. So I'm going to speak a little bit in broader terms, then we'll go into details in 99. But I was joking with uh, one of the dev managers. So do you know what you're doing next? And the reason he asked that is more context. We're doing a, a reorg. We have a new general manager for our vice, you know, president slash vice president uh, for our cloud new cloud division. And we're doing some reorganization as part of that. As part of that, I am eliminating the remaining people on my team. Uh, my team, I have gone from a high of just below 50 people in my test organization. Uh, right now, I have... I just moved my last lead reporting to me to another division, and I have 10 ICs reporting to me right now. But as part of this reorg, I am removing all of them from my org and dissolving my cost center. Bum, bum, bum. Some people may look at that and like, I've had people go, what the F is wrong with you? You're stupid. People are power. You need your organization. I said... And it's tough for me because, I, I, yeah, having getting rid of my organization is uh, a scary thing. Mm -hmm. But business-wise, and my priority is improving the business, right. it is a more efficient way to run all of those orgs. I have made sure I've done a lot of work to make sure they're going to land well. They're in orgs I trust. I've done all kinds of handoff. It's the right thing to do, and it's going to work out. So what does that mean for me? Because nothing's announced, nobody really knows yet. I've had a lot of discussions with my new manager about kind of what the role looks like. And anyway, the joke uh, with uh, one of the development managers in, in Montreal was, which was actually good to hear. He said, so what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I have some ideas, but nothing's announced, so we're still working it out. Um, I'm probably not going to get fired. He goes, if you're fired... I will hire you right away. So, <laughs> so it's good to hear. It's like it's like I've established that you established that credibility. So I'm still defining what the role is. But you wouldn't the, be fired though. Yeah. Well, who knows? Laid off. Yeah, it would be laid off. Right? <laughs> okay, there we go. Yeah. We'll talk more in details later. And I'm sorry. I thought uh, when I made the cliffhanger three weeks ago that a lot more would have rolled through, but a lot of things happening going on slowed things down a little bit. But definitely in a much broader scope role across the organization, which is good, not leading testers, most likely leading another part of the organization, and in a role where I can ensure that modern testing principles continue throughout the organization, which is kind of fun to do from a non-QA lead, test lead position. I've gone through the stages. It's not the same as the seven <laughs> stages of grief. I went through nervous, oh my God, this sounds really hard, to excited, oh, but I can do this, to anxious, I want to get started. And then in limbo here for a while, I kind of like, like I'm maybe anxious into frustrated a little bit on come on, let's just move forward. But it's all the details. So we kind of know what the role is as far as position in the organization, but as my manager and I have developed a bit of a relationship with figuring out, well, what other – it's actually really good. I've never had a position where – or a manager where we're not just looking at what do you – what's the role you're going to do, but what does that role grow into and how do you um, – and we've even had the conversation because I've done this with testing. It's like what would happen if you – if in this role you worked yourself out of the – out of the uh, – A job. Out of a role. Not a job. Out of a role. Okay. And figure out what's next, kind of making sure it's all set up 
for those things to work out. So that's kind of, and I'm sorry to not have a great answer to the cliffhanger, to kind of one of those like soap opera things where you get the cliffhanger, then in the next episode, you don't really get the answer, but you just kind of get strung on a little bit more. That's kind of what we're doing here, just so I don't, because it would be awkward, right, if I said, I'm doing this job, and then I put the podcast out on Monday, people go, people listen to the podcast, because the weird thing, I've mentioned this before about <laughs> Unity, is it didn't happen at Microsoft. People in my organization, people I know, listen to the podcast. In fact, like not just testers, the developers, someone pointed out, like, it comes up it odd. T- it's kind of embarrassing for me <laughs> yeah. because I'm used to having a podcast that nobody I actually see often or, or, or who has, who, whose opinion matters of me. Here's the podcast. Yep. Nothing against the three. Your opinions do matter to me, but I'll just see a random Direct post. Direct consequence. <laughs> like I'll be in a discussion talking about some things we're doing and then some random developer and another team will say, oh yeah, Alan talked about that on his podcast. And it kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> it kind of, it's kind of awkward. Not like I, it's, I don't know why it's just <clears throat> awkward. Anyway, I've been talking for a while. Any th- Thoughts or reactions or well, questions. First off, first off, I would like to know the name of the developer in Unity <laughs> that that in a public meeting tells you, "Hey, Alan, Brent would not approve of that." I'd like to know their name. I'll go take them to coffee. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, I haven't heard that yet. <laughs> not yet, but now coffee's on the line. Well, could, since- could you broaden that to? Uh, how do you get that guy Brent to shut up? Could that be a question that would earn them coffee? No. Okay. No. So any any praise for Brent? What, what I am trying to do is figure out a way that I can use the podcast to continue to torture you in your day to day work life. Oh. Yeah. 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 You can <laughs> tell them secrets. Um, I don't really have any though. Alan hates tequila. Whatever you do, don't give him tequila. Right. No, he does. He hates it <laughs> tremendously. Yeah, I get where Alan's coming from. You got to think about the business. Uh, the thing is, is, is while they're working through plans, and I do have a little bit more of a sense than what Alan's describing of what uh, is going to happen to him. I'll tell him. I'll tell you guys what I told him, uh, which is, dude, that is sweet. I'm sure it is scaring the crap out of you right now. But once you get in, it'll be awesome. It'll just be a matter of time. Yep, I think so. That's exactly it. When I first got an idea of the scope of the role, I was quite scared. I said nervous, but maybe scared is right. But I thought the more I thought through it, the better I felt. And the more I've... I've talked to uh, people in a little different way. And we'll be able to talk about this a little bit more later, but I'm settling into it even though it's not official. And what's really interesting is the reaction from my team as I moved them out of their QA roles working for me into uh, working within their dev teams in a, in a specialist role. And also keep in mind that these people aren't doing test things all day. And in fact, we just had our, our we had these uh, three times a year discussions at Unity called three keys, three questions about what is your mission at Unity? 
what are you doing and how are you doing? And just kind of talk about so just a reflective discussion around career development, what's going on. And as I talk to people, the amount of leadership and influence and building and their focus on building a quality culture is like, yeah, we're fine. And I get from the development leads these guys work with, I get nothing but praise. And the fact that most of them are doing at the very least things that would be that would fall into the DevOps category and some full on writing features as well as their testing work. Uh, the confidence that uh, the teams have uh, with them, I feel really good. There's one person on my team. I'm going to have another talk with him today. He's a little nervous about the uh, the change. But the thing is, I'm not leaving the org. And, and the other part is nobody's nervous about, oh, my God, is Alan leaving, getting fired? They're like, they just – they – which is weird. I, I'd like a little bit more concern over my career given all the turmoil, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think they feel like I'll land somewhere good. Uh, and they're right. But really, out of all those ICs on my team, only one's a little nervous. But I think once the change actually happens and uh, they realize how little things are actually changing, because my influence is still there, I will still meet with the dev managers around the org. In fact, when we do hiring in these places, if we're hiring more people as a test specialist or a primary test specialist, uh, they I'll be involved in hiring and job descriptions, et cetera. So it will be, it should be very, it should be noticeable very little that I'm in a different role and there's no more QA organization in the cloud org. I want to go to a <coughs> mailbag question that I totally forgot to do in our last mailbag show. We can't fit them all in. Or I can I, – if I for, didn't just forget to put some in, we could. All right. <laughs> I can't tell if that's an – I don't have my glasses. Is that Aiden Boyd? could be Alden. Aiden. Aiden Boyd. Sorry. Question for you, Brent. Actually, I'll answer too. How much weight would you say clear leadership direction holds when it comes to growing a quality culture? Oh, I'll probably have an answer for this too. Clear. I am fortunate enough to work in a delivery team where I am confident that with time and many robust but constructive conversations, we can move ourselves up the scale for most of the quality culture capabilities. However, despite the healthy relationships and generally positive attitude towards quality within the delivery team, there are no clear company goals or metrics that we can evaluate ourselves against. Is this something we should seek out in order to give us a stronger drive for quality and a clearer sense of direction? Yes. No. It depends. No. <laughs> this one does not depend. However, despite – all right. So I'm reading it at the same time. I'm glad I loaded it up because I would have remembered three words from that. How much weight would you say clear leadership direction holds when it comes to growing a quality culture? How much – what do you think clear leadership direction means? I think – A vision? Um, as the question evolves, it's goals. I think he's saying should leadership provide quality goals that the team tries to achieve? How, much, how important is that? Yeah, I kind of interpret 
However, let me go to the next thing because I, I think I interpret this differently. However, despite the healthy relationships and generally positive attitude towards quality within the delivery team, there are no clear company goals or metrics that we can use to evaluate ourselves against. So that's the thing that bothers me because what I hear is it sounds like he's in a DevOps role. Did I do that right? Yeah, I'm not certain what role he's in. Delivery team. He delivers babies. Okay. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So, yeah, you need to have um, – I am a firm believer that you need to have both qualitative and quantitative definition of success. Right? If you're in a role or if you're in a team – how do you define success? How do you – how um, – one of the things I believe as a business leader is I'm morally obligated to inform my management when they no longer need my team and should get rid of it. Right? But to me, it is it is a vision statement. It is a goal that helps you to be efficient, well, lean, understand success, failure. These are all important. Well, let's go back to the leadership row of my quality culture transition guide, where it starts off with there's no leadership support. And then leadership drives quality via metrics and scorecards. Right. To leadership uh, sets principles. Sets principles and a clear vision. And then the most mature level is leadership can mostly stay the heck out of the way because the team has internalized all those things. Uh, even further, I, I think the final step is leadership agrees with the principles and visions set by the team. Yes. So I think leadership needs to be involved. I mean, you can have some overarching goals. It's easy to fall from that third level to that second level. And I want to be careful. About talking about leadership versus management here, because yeah. I think we're talking about management. We well, we're talking yeah, talking about whoever's setting the vision for the team. Right. Uh, having a set of specific goals defined for everyone in the company around quality. Everyone must have eighty percent code coverage. Blah, 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 blah. Those things. Those are more of the how. Having a high level of code coverage reduces some risk. So that'd be a how I'd achieve a leadership goal of we want four nines of uptime this year. Uh, we want to lose less than $10,000 on, on revenue due to site being down, whatever. Right. Those are high-level goals. Those things below, those a lot of those quality culture bits are the how you achieve that. And that vision can just also help you determine how much weight to put into different aspects of the quality culture. When – Another thing I'm reading between the lines on Aiden's post is, you know, our team has a good quality culture. He doesn't say anything about other teams, but I wonder if between the lines, and Aiden, you can chime in on Slack, if I'm kind of reading like our team has high quality culture principles, but maybe other teams don't. I think they don't because leadership doesn't have any goals in place. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I kind of felt that a little bit. And it can be painful if your team takes a lot of time on the how, that quality culture, putting a lot of effort into learning and improvement and trying to do everything much better all the time. And you have some other teams that don't have those same values. 
it's very easy in a lot of cases to say, well, this is a leadership needs to establish some goals, so we're all on the same page, which actually isn't a horrible idea, but it's not the only way to get every team on the same page as far as quality culture goes. Can you, from your experience, can you generalize? Let's say you take two teams. Mm-hmm. Would you be? How would you go about enumerating? Let's say Team A, in your opinion, has a better quality culture than Team B, right? Okay. What might be things that you would enumerate? Like, obviously, that's going to be a multi-scalar or multi-valued thing. That's actually largely why I created that quality culture transition guide as a way to – to have a conversation, not to score a team because I hate scorecards and I hate maturity models because they're used as scorecards, but I use that grid as a discussion point to talk with the team on how they approach quality and what are some areas they may need to improve and what and tied into areas of risk. It, I use that as a tool a lot in retrospectives as a place to discover places where a team may want to improve. So that's – I don't know if I answered your question directly, you but that's – didn't. Well, ask ask me again in a different the, way. So what I, what I read from Aiden's post is is hey, there are no clear goals or metrics here, right? And it's it's because number one, we're talking about culture, which is hard to measure. Number two, we're talking about quality culture, which makes it even harder to measure. Mm-hmm. When it comes to measurements, though, what what people generally do is they they want to get a sense uh, if we can't measure it concretely can we measure it relativistically so that we can learn from others I, I do agree that I do not like scorecards of this sense if they're going to be used punitively but if they're going to be used as hey on Lever number one, team A is better on quality culture, and lever number two, team B, right? It, then it helps to encourage uh, knowledge sharing so that both teams can grow together. The, yeah. the trick is to measure it without creating competition or wrongly using Hawthorne's effect. Yeah, I I would definitely – solve the problem via sharing and celebrating success. Uh, To be more concrete, uh, let's say team A is fantastic at retrospectives and every single sprint, they uh, pick one or two things they want to improve and they get better. And I'm going to celebrate that because I want if team B is not doing that, I want to see how much that's helping them, even if team B is better overall. And then team B may have they may have put together a fantastic suite of tools and checks in their CI system, state of the art. I want to share and celebrate that and get team A. Team A may go, oh, we didn't know we had that problem, but yeah, if we borrow this, we can do that. So I want to actually leverage the strengths of each team to make the other team better. I love celebrating success. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's very motivating. I, I don't think to to Aiden's questions. I don't, and I completely agree. By the way, I don't think this is something that you can you can really succeed with with a with a with a hard fast quantitative measure. This is does not contradict the statement I would said just a few minutes ago, though. Um, 
because you do need you do need that to help guide and measure and and show improvement in a in um in a real sense. I'll, I'll tell you a problem that I have um, that's related to something that you just mentioned, retrospective. So here in Azure, we have a big retrospective process. Um, uh, not in the sense that we talk about with a small Agile team. You can think of it closer to like a old school postmortem process. But that process says in certain instances, you are required to file bugs to prevent this from occurring again. Okay, whatever the, the this is, I'm, I'm obfuscating on purpose. And I knee deep in a lot of these conversations. The issue I have, though, is from a data science point of view, I am trying to figure out a way, are we just telling people to do activity or is there any evidence that this activity is actually helping? Right, because we don't have... So let's say you have a monitor. Here's an example. Let's say you had an outage and and it took you uh, three days to respond because you didn't have a monitor for it. Uh, your customer actually got impacted and called in. Now you go, you build that monitor, but that three-day outage is a one-in-a-lifetime event. Shark swam into something that caused power to go out, right? And we didn't detect it. Right. So that two months that they used to build that monitor. Oh, that's, be- yeah. So uh, a quick story, and then I want to get to the closing here, is that's a common problem in engineering. Often we will over-optimize on the edge case, not just for monitoring. I saw it recently sure. internally. I'm not going to tell any details, but... Uh, a bunch of smart people got together to review how something was going, and they started thinking of these bizarre edge cases. Next thing you know, a team is like trying to write a bunch of code to solve these bizarre edge cases. It's like, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> no, <coughs> this is never going to happen. It would be, why don't we just prevent people from trying to do this stupid edge case versus trying to enable this thing that is theoretically possible, but will likely, very likely, never happen in a million gazillion years. The the thing is, it's fascinating. And to be fair, I love their thinking of edge cases because that's, that's that systems thinking, you know, testing no, mindset fantastic. I want. But you have to actually think about it from a risk perspective as well. And once you know the edge cases, you got to think around, okay, how do we generalize these things into a different group? And like, I yes. like, like the suggestion of, oh, turns out if we turn off this whole menu item, all of these edge cases go away. Yes, there's a couple of feature takebacks, but but you know, no one uses those. We <laughs> need to help. Uh, maybe we move from testing specialist to risk specialist. We need people that can look at the bigger picture, identify risk versus think of new test ideas. Yes, and, and actually. So uh, multiple times on the podcast, I've detailed a bunch of insights I've learned when I went to Bing. Okay, there's, when you're in that space, it's a game changer. Testing does not make sense in the context we're used to in Bing. Everything changes every second. Oh, my God. Are you saying testing's dead? Moving oh my God. on. Oh, my God. Here in, you. Here in Azure, there is a different phenomenon. 
edge cases suddenly impact thousands of people <laughs> because things are we are so popular we have so many uh, different widgets running in the cloud and the system is extremely flexible even a case that only happens 0.1% of the time is a large number of important things impacted yeah, there's a real problem there. Uh, what I keep thinking through is, okay, on the, uh, I always go back to ROI. What is if we if we try to define quality or a quality culture, we need to invest in terms of some sort of return on investment. And so, yeah, if you can't measure return, that at minimum needs to be fixed in terms of metrics and goals for a, for a quality culture. Sure. It can be – anyway. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about before we go is the upcoming episode 100 of A-B Testing. Someday soon. Someday soon in about a month, which will, as my if I look at my math correctly, when I get the date exactly right – but will also remarkably happen very, very, very close to the five-year anniversary of the A-B Testing Podcast, of episode one, which, if you go back and listen, is a piece of junk. <laughs> it's awful. Some people want to go back and start at one for completion, and I tell you, stop! <laughs> start in the 40s or somewhere. We, we could turn one into like a two-year prequel and just reset the numbers. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Uh, I am toying with the idea of a call-in show for episode 100. Uh, I am going to gauge interest among the three. I'll also ask on Twitter. We'll try and get a date set uh, definitely a few weeks in advance. I'll work it out with Brent. We'll do a little bit of a longer recording time. Uh, I think I can pull it off. I'm going to do a little bit of technical work in between. But if you're interested in being part of that show, please ping me on Twitter, ping me an email, uh, ping me on our Slack team, and uh, we'll try and find some times that work. It'll be awkward if like only one person dials in, but I thought it'd be fun. Give it a shot. I have no idea how it will work. It's probably stupid to do such a big experiment for our, for such a milestone episode, but then I could just call it, if it fails, I can call it 99A. Hey, if we're going to fail, let's fail gloriously. You know what? I was talking to someone on my team recently, and he said the team's being really uh, paranoid, very, ca they're being, he says they're being overly cautious about releases. And I said, that team, that product, they need to screw up more. And he nodded his head, like is the, the test room team. He said, they need to, the, the testing specialist who's actually doing mostly DevOps work, um, said, you're, the team needs to, they're not learning. If you're not screwing up, mess some things up. Practice rollback. Don't be so darn paranoid. Just F things up a little bit. And it got the message. I mean, I was probably a little bit over the top, but... But, uh, yeah, we should screw it up just so we can learn what works and what doesn't. Yes. All right, man. Yeah. It's good hanging out with you again. I look forward to doing 99 sometime soon. couple weeks. Talk a little bit more about my new role. If it's still not defined in two weeks, then, well, it'll be par for the course. I've been in limbo for a while trying to get things finalized, but hopefully we'll get it worked out. All right. I'm still Alan. I'm Brent. And I'm not Brent.
And I'm not Alan. All right, bye.